Hello, everyone. This week, I have a guest that I actually met in San Diego like two years ago now, I guess. Right when I was starting out in comedy, I met Nathan Mosher, and he's, his artist's name is Nathaniel Philip Mosher. And we performed on the same show together, and it was right, uh, right after I decided to move to London, and he had been in London for some time doing comedy, so he was going to give me some contacts. And it was a rare interaction because he was sincere and he meant it. And so when I did reach out to him, he did send me contacts, and we kept in touch, and he's a really great guy. This podcast episode is really special first of all because it's coming out the same week his ep launched and so we talk about his ep but it's on spotify so you'll be able to hear it and it's kind of cool just to be able to share a launch date week with someone and to share their story but also um on a very serious note we get into a lot about mental health suicide is mentioned and talked about nathan opens up about his own I would say just really just his own work with his mental health. I talk a little bit about mine as well, which I don't do very often on this podcast and I won't get into more now to be honest, but uh, I really appreciate again how just how candid he was and I've been lucky with a few guests their candor, but this is specifically about Nathan and specifically about what he has gone through and I think it's really important, but I also think it's important to warn people just because someone might not be in a spot where they can listen to this right now. I think Nathan's story is really uplifting because he got through it and he continues to work really hard. And um, I just love this guy. And I'm really glad to share this interview with you. So I hope you enjoy the insight that you get into someone who has given, decided to give like their entire career to being an artist. He was going to be a doctor at one point and he pursued the creative path and it's really extraordinary. I actually got to perform an open on one of his solo shows that he did when he was workshopping it in a Florida virtual festival during the pandemic. And it was really an honor to do that. And he's inspired me to work on my own show that I'm going to start previewing pretty soon. It's pretty exciting. So Nathan, when and if you hear this, Thank you so much for being someone who I have found inspiration from creatively. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And to the listeners, thanks for being here. Again, I really hope you get a lot out of this interview. And thanks again for listening and subscribing and reviewing and everything you're doing to uh, let More Than Work keep, keep going. So without further ado, here you go. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week, I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same.
Welcome back, everyone. Today, I have someone who's a writer and performer who I first met at a comedy gig in San Diego well before the pandemic, I think in 2019. So I'm really stoked to have him here and to talk to him about what he's been up to. Nathaniel Philip Mosher. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. So you want to introduce yourself a little bit just to the audience? Yeah. Um, my name is, well, I, I've been going by Nathan, but uh, I decided to try and release everything under Nathaniel Philip Mosher. Um, I thought it sounded cooler as an artist. It's my full name and um, it's got some, you know, meaning behind it because Nathaniel's supposed to mean gift of God. Uh, Philip means lover of horses, which is not that hmm. great. But <laughs> <laughs> I have a joke about that. You know, Nathaniel means gift of God. Philip means lover of horses. And Mosher comes from Marsher, which is Marsh Dweller. So my name means someone sent to love horses by God in marshes. Um <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if I should use the, I, I use crude language in that joke. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if i that on the podcast. <laughs> so cool. So yeah, yeah so you've been yeah. working on that name and you have been releasing stuff lately. Yeah. So um, I was met Robbie as a comedian and in San Diego and I thought she was really funny and, uh, and I talked to her and then she was moving to the UK and I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to Edinburgh. And uh, right before the pandemic, I, uh, started producing and writing music as well. And I've always written poetry and I started performing and, um, anyways, I developed a one man show and I was right about to sign a con. Well, I signed the contract and then I was right about to send money to do Edinburgh. And then this happened. And, uh, so I'm going to be doing the Orlando French festival in May, which was a year ago that this was supposed to happen. And it's supposed to happen at 40% capacity. And we'll see if Edinburgh happens, but now I've become this kind of, that's another reason I chose to go by my full name is because uh, I'm doing this whole multifaceted act and I just felt like, okay, let me separate. Like, you know, it's, I don't, I didn't want to be like Nathan Moser comedian and then alter ego this. And that I was just like, they're all the same to me. Like, I don't mm-hmm. see them all. I see uh, emotionally. I write them from the same place. So yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and right before the perform the pandemic, when I would headline, I would do like everything, um, and that was I was like, ah, this is what I got to do. <laughs> and we've done stand up shows since like outdoors, and I was like, yeah, I can't I can't just do this alone anymore. I was like, I miss I want to be up there doing music and poetry and like not just being funny. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I just it, it's more fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's more fun, even though maybe it's not laughing stuff <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah or it's like oh people you do music is like funny stuff i'm like oh it's super sad <laughs> yeah it's been like weird al kind of stuff <laughs> like it's i mean i've written like two or three funny songs like i have this new song that i wrote it's just like the hook is like uh, shit just sucks but i'm okay wrote a song but i cried all day <laughs> <laughs> and like it, it's it is funny like but it came from a real place with my friend just being like hey you should just like sounds like shit like there's a lot of stuff on your plate and you don't want to acknowledge how you know how much stuff he's like write a list of everything that sucks 
instead of a gratitude. And I was like, whoa, I've never done that. I've only done gratitude lists. Gratitude <laughs> lists. Um, anyways, it's a part of my daily practice now. I do. I make a gratitude list and then I make a list of shit that just sucks. <laughs> and and it, it's funny. It works the same way because eventually you run out of stuff to say. And then you're like, I guess I am grateful because I, I can't, you know, you try to complain about everything. You're like, I guess I ran out. <laughs> yeah. And once you start writing the stuff that you're complaining about, then it kind of takes on a different life like oh do i really need to spend my energy being annoyed about that yeah yeah but uh yeah so and then uh this whole ep is like really sad there's like one happy song and the rest are like melancholy and i don't know after i finished i was like man i want to write i need to write happy songs (laughs) (laughs) but i get that way in comedy too i'll be like oh i'm only talking about relationships let me talk about politics or you know Man, yeah. I'm only talking about politics. I need to write like a poop joke. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'll get like, oh, I don't want to be like a one trick pony. So I'll get tired of stuff. And I'm like, I got to write other stuff. <laughs> write more. Yeah. One thing I've been doing lately is at work, like I'll go to say something on a Slack or Teams or whatever I'm using. And then sometimes I'll get interrupted and then I'll go back an hour later and I'll see like what rant I was starting. And I'm like, oh, I don't really need to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't really need to send that complaint. Yeah. I just delete it. And I think I probably seem like happier, but it's really like I'm just busier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. not sending it. And I don't know. I think it's the same as like, yeah, you just write down the stuff that sucks, but you're not sending it anywhere, which is good. I mean, you record it in one song, but that's fine. But yeah, I think that is kind of a neat idea. Yeah. You know? I think uh, when I... Uh, so I left stand up and then I came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I came back, uh, when I first started writing, I read about Jerry Seinfeld doing the like X on the calendar every day when he would write. He would write five or more hours because he's insane. But wow. um, but I was like, okay, I want to write every day. So I tried to do like one or two hours. And um, so writing was like first priority. And then like the business side of it comes in or, or you're trying to get booked on shows or this or this. You book a tour or this. And those little administrative tasks, like they're mm-hmm. quicker and easier to finish. So you, you end up doing that and then writing becomes like the last thing you do. So I was like, you know what? I got to get back to like writing has to be the first thing I do every morning, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would drink a cup of coffee and immediately go to a coffee shop and write. And um, and then other thing I did was like uh, I started organizing my jokes by theme and like Instead of, cause I was working on this one of my shows. So I was like, let me, instead of like, just trying to write jokes, it's just like, I'm just trying to write, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then if it's funny, I'll like, you know, tag it up and it'll become a joke, but like more like free writing. So I started doing that and it, it was like every day I had to write at least an hour. And I noticed that it became like for the first time writing stand up was actually cathartic um, rather than before. It's like, the stage part was the catharsis, you know, Mm -hmm. but I realized I was like pretty dangerous because, or not even dangerous. It was dangerous, but also counterproductive because I would have like a really good show. It'd be packed. And instead of being like, Oh, I could do my best stuff and get a tape and have a good set. I'd be like, Oh, something just happened in my family and I need to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So like, or I have a joke that's kind of related to that, or I've been thinking about this idea. So let me try a brand new joke on a packed show because I need to get this off my chest. Mm. It wouldn't be like terrible, but it's like, I could have waited 
to tell that joke somewhere else and work on it um, and treat this more professionally and yeah. still get the catharsis because I wrote in the morning or I did the therapy or I did, you know, I was like not making the stage therapy anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was helpful. So like, um, yeah, just, I have so many things that I like write every day just to like go through recovery and be okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. and, then, and then hope, then the jokes are just like the best of rather than like where I get it off my chest. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. It- you have a filter in a way like yeah which uh, i guess you know boundaries i didn't have those for most of my life (laughs) yeah did you always consider yourself a writer because you started comedy pretty young yeah so i started performing at 17 Mm -hmm. uh, and i was writing poetry since like really young like i mean second grade i remember i did this uh I never like thought of myself as a writer, but I was doing tons of writing in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Like second grade, we did like a poetry thing for a janitor who was leaving after 20 years of service. And I wrote a poem and I got chosen to read it in front of the whole school. Like um, fifth grade, I did this young storytellers thing where, where I got and I got chosen by my same thing, chosen by my teacher to write a story. And you get you get actors to come act it out. And like this Disney Channel star, I remember was in my play. It was fucking awesome. Mm. Um, I was doing like speeches you know like i was the fifth grade class president and so i read a speech during graduation so like and i wrote that with my mom my mom's a great writer really good um and so yeah it's like always been there um Mm -hmm. and then i but but i was i'm asian so like the default is doctor (laughs) and i was smart so like i was like english is technically even though i majored in that it was technically my weakest subject Mm. but it's like not weak because like for example i got fives which perfect scores on all the ap tests and i got fours on english which is still like an a (laughs) like yeah it's still a really high score so that being said it's like it wasn't my weakest subject it's just um it wasn't my focus you know like my sister was the artist and i was like the kid was supposed to be a doctor right and now we both both are fucked (laughs) (laughs) uh no she's she's a visual artist painter like so but yeah poetry was like and then when i was a teenager that's when it like i wrote poetry like nonstop, and i joined this um i did this arts program my sisters did did called california state summer school for the arts she did it for visual arts i did it for creative writing and that's when I like really started exploring, you know, writer because I was writing jokes and poetry, but that's when I really started exploring like narrative. And I, I took this memoir class and cause I was like, do I want to write about myself? Do I want to like do these one-liners that I've been doing? And I was like, so I wrote this, I learned about narrative writing and all that stuff. But these kids were like insane. Like, Oh, I wrote three books already. Or other, you know, like, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, it, it was a, really really good program and then i was friends with the music kids and the theater kids and um i even did two stand-up performances during mm-hmm. the camp it was like a month-long summer camp um so yeah but i was still bioengineering major like going into ucla so it was a long time to figure out that and then stand-up became like an obsession and then i was like i'm just gonna do stand-up because 
I have to be the best at this, you know? I was mm-hmm. obsessed with, like, I still am. I mean, it puts so much pressure, but, like, this idea of being a prodigy, I think. Because I yeah. started so young, I started at 17, and I was like, oh, I have a chance. But, like, one time, I remember I went back from a mic, I open mic, when I was, like, 18 or, like, barely starting. My dad's like, so where do you rank in, like, L.A. among comedians? I was like, what? There's, like, <laughs> two million. Like, you know? yeah. So I was constantly, like, comparing myself to other people, like, um, you know, people who started at the same time or, like, Mm -hmm. they dropped out of school, but I was in school not doing it as much, this, you know. But now I was, like, if if I let myself just be a writer... I realized, because I realized, like, what makes me happy. And I was like, oh, I don't need stand-up. Like, I do like doing it, but I don't need it. I was like, if you put a, like, if you took everything away from me, you know, mm-hmm. I could survive if I, if I had a pen and a piece of paper, you know? Right. Like, I could yeah. survive with just that. Everything else is, like, fun, too. But writers, like, I need that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I love everything, like. I love doing stand-up. I love doing music. I love, but like writing is the thing that I'm obsessed with. Like mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with words. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it shows, I mean, I think that some people, they maybe they're funny cause they're funny at performing and whatever. And then some people, they don't write. You can tell they're not writers, you know, you can oh, tell yeah. that they're not performers. Yeah, that, yeah. That's it. And it's fine. I mean, there's a place for that, but I think when you're truly, writing and you're choosing words carefully it changes things quite a lot and i think you can expand and i mean you do touch on different subjects and if and i saw your one man show yeah um, yeah and it gets into all different things so it's not just strictly comedy yeah which is what i think even struck me about seeing your stand-up the first time too when we were what in chula vista or something yeah i don't even remember what i talked about during that set but yeah i remember i remember that you had you were having a rough day i remember that and you like had had red bull or something like too much drinking energy yeah and so i don't know but um i was like yeah energy gives you so much energy you just think that you can freestyle (laughs) (laughs) so you were doing stand-up and then while you were in school, which had to be pretty hard. And then yeah, at some point you stopped. Well, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I didn't do it for like, I did it like two or three times in six months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for six months before that, I was like, I mean, it was like half the week I was sleeping all day, mm-hmm. <laughs> half the week, three, three or four days I was not leaving the bed. And then the other three days was me doing stand up. Um, but I was, I had, Went through a breakup. I uh, moved cities and moved back home. Uh, three month relationship. Went to San Francisco. Three months broke up. Went back home. Got depressed, and then just kept getting worse to the point where I got suicidal. And then mm. uh, went to the hospital. And then um, went to this outpatient treatment program called Clearview. Um, and uh, it was in Westwood. And it was mm. like every day for three hours. You had to do group therapy stuff and uh, it specializes in dialectical behavioral treatment therapy, just for borderline personality disorder. Okay. Because a psychiatrist labeled me that way, which uh, was a misdiagnosis because I took mm-hmm. like an actual test and they were like, yeah, you don't have this. 
you're saying maybe you might be bipolar, but like, mm-hmm. we're not sure. Or at least not right now. Like you definitely don't have symptoms of mania. Um, but I kept going to that and shit just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And eventually like at one point I had to go like all day, <laughs> nine to yeah. five. Um, this is all on the one man show, just jokes about this stuff, you know? And yeah, uh, got really bad to the point where I had like a meltdown during session where I like thought I was dying and I was like interrupting everybody's session and someone like skipped therapy because of me and I was going crazy and like, interrupt. yeah, just interrupting the session. And then, uh, then to that point they were like, you can't even like, they made me go by myself <laughs> like <laughs> to do these, um, you have to do these cards, like where you're supposed to list all the skills that you're going to use to cope Mm-hmm. That shit was fucking, I could not handle that. <laughs> like, yeah. you want me to like do math? <laughs> it felt <laughs> like math. Like I had these index cards and I had to like list out, but my brain was just not functioning. So I'd be, it, it was just too many decisions, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay, if I do this thing and then that doesn't work, then I got to do this thing and this and this and this and that. And um, I needed to be on medication. Like I, I had, you know. I'm on Depakote now, mood stabilizer. Like, Marie Bamford's yeah. on that. Chris Gethard's on that. Like, uh, Kanye took that at one point. Like, it's for bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, anyways, none of that was working. Psychiatrist wasn't giving me any medication for it. Thought I was borderline. or And then the, she was like, you're displaying, displaying symptoms of dependent personality disorder. Just, just codependency. I was just insane right. at the time. Uh, and uh, so then I got sent to a a 21 day rehab thing. Uh, and that was covered by insurance and it, they have like a rehab for addiction. And then they had one for mental health. Mm. My roommate was schizophrenic. Other guy was schizophrenic. Another guy, I don't know what he had, but, um, and then I got out of there and then I went to a sober living just cause insurance covered it. I have no mm. alcoholism addiction or anything. And then 10 days later, I'm in the hospital <laughs> for the third time, try to kill myself. Or, mm. I mean, I don't, it's weird to say that. Cause I'm like the way I was doing it, clearly I didn't want it. Like I tied, right. a, I tied a phone charger around my neck and put it on the, on the door knob, like it on the door. It's like, nothing's going to happen. But <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, if I was, if I really wanted to do it, I, this is a better way. Um, right. But, yeah. It was more of a communication thing. Like, yeah, I think it was more just like a lot of it was like when my thoughts would get so unmanageable, it was like, a I want to just be in a coma for like 10 days mm-hmm. like or like, I just want to get knocked out and then you wake up and I wake up and I'm in the hospital. You know, or like yeah, something just escape like that. whatever escape whatever I'm in, right? Um. So yeah, and then I went for the third and final time, which was in December of twenty uh, nineteen, twenty eighteen. I don't. Yeah. And oh man, it was, yeah, it was a while ago. Twenty eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. And um. And I got put on uh, Depakote. And I got out and like some of the symptoms, a lot of the symptoms went away. Like the mm-hmm. panic attack. I was having like full blown, like three hour episodes where I was like, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, those went away and I was still severely depressed, but I had a job that I got hired for. Didn't start yet. So when that started, I started working with kids 
uh, the after school care. And that week, like I had training plus I had to do volunteer service uh, because of uh, like a red light ticket. Mm. And that whole week was like, I had to be occupied from 10 to five every day. So I couldn't sleep all day and I'll just make sure not to go home. And that week I started to like not sleep the day away. And uh, over the course of a month started to, um, things started to get better. And then mm-hmm. a month later, uh, I was like, Oh, it was like a week later. I was like writing jokes again. I was and a month after that. I did my first set and then just mm-hmm. kind of eased back into it. Yeah. Well, thanks for going through all that. And I, I'll admit I about 11 years ago was in an outpatient thing myself. Yeah. And it was one of those things where it needed to happen. Oh yeah. But it was also very hard. Like people listening, you know, me will be like, what (laughs) right now? Because it, it was hard, but it was like, it needed to happen. But I think the misdiagnosis you got that it's hard because you're just being mis you're being treated for the wrong thing. So did you, or your family, like, who, how did you address that? Because I think that's interesting. And uh, there, there's like no real addressing of it. It was just like uh, we don't know what's happening. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't until I got on Depakote. It's like it just started working. But mm-hmm. I even still don't have a diagnosis. Like, right? It's just been working. Um, and then we went to another psychiatrist, and and was like, "What do you think I am?" She's like, "I'm leaning towards bipolar." And then, uh, but yeah, I still just don't. I just take it, and it works. It's like. I think it's, I think it's like, yeah, if it works, then it's probably that. And also if I get off of it, I display all the symptoms of like hypomania. Like right. I sleep, I sleep half as much and I speak twice as fast and I'm hyper creative and I make amazing music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, every time I get off my medication for like two days by accident or run out, um, I just stay up till like 4am making beats. <laughs> on my phone <laughs> and then i listened the next day i'm like these are amazing um and i do it like every night <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and uh i write a whole song in my like just on the spot but yeah that's just like uh how it goes and um but it, it doesn't make like i can make great songs without that too like right. because it, that yeah. lasts for two days but then after the third day i'm incredibly sleep deprived but i can't sleep so it is painful, <laughs> like, mm. uh, physically exhausting and painful. And it's just not great. Um, and so, yeah, it's not entirely clear. Like if I had a sort of hypomanic thing going, but like, I remember the first time I got off my meds and my sister's like, you're talking fast and this. And I was like, wait, this is just how I was in San Francisco. Like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like hyper creative, super happy and just like excited all the fucking time. Yeah, and and then once I got off my, I was on Lexapro, and I got off Lexapro, and then it just like, bam, went bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing with those medications; it's kind of they, they're tricky because yeah. they deceive you into thinking you're fine <laughs> or whatever, and then oh, I'm fine, I don't need it, and then you you find out, yeah, that, yeah. Well, you did need it, and that's why you were fine. For yeah, so. At time. But that that's something I try to like make clear is that like medication did not get rid of my depression. <laughs> it just made the symptoms of life <laughs> and trauma <laughs> more manageable, you know, yeah. because I have a hypersensitivity to life. 
<laughs> to trauma and shit that's happened because of I don't know genetics, but also like I've had stuff happen, and um, you know I was still severely depressed. Like the worst depression was the three months that I was on Depakote and medication before I got my life together mm-hmm. and got a job and had things a structure. But like I could not have done the job without the medication mm-hmm. because I would have freaked out and had to leave. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah. it's it's there's so many components. And, you know, yeah. Medication can give you purpose. That's what I always say. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so when you started working with the kids, did that, did, and had a job, was that like the first time you really had a job that was normal in a very long time because you were in school and you were doing comedy and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, because then I got out of school and I worked at Islands. Cause I, my, I got out of school and I told my mom, I was like, let me not get a real job because like I've been doing full-time school and full-time standup. I'm exhausted, you know, like, let me just do stand up for once, you know? And so I had a part-time job and, uh, I was going to do like six months of that or something. Six months of like easy stuff, DoorDash, Postmates, whatever, not worry about rent. And then my thing was like, then I'll figure out, do I want to move to New York? Do I want to stay in LA? Do I want to get a real job? Do I want to get an office job? I have an English degree. I could work at an office, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, figure out something. And then the relationship happened. <laughs> they kind of threw a wrench in that. Um, but yeah, so, and then when I was up in the Bay, I was working with preschool kids part-time. Uh, that's where I found out I like working with kids. Um, mm-hmm. This comedian, Andrew Rolfo from the Bay. Uh, I just hit up all the comedians I knew and people I knew. I was like, Hey jobs. And so I got to teach preschool kids sports, super fun. And it was part-time. And then, uh, I would do sometimes do DoorDash. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah. And then, so yeah, but that, the after school care was, was 25 hours a week. So it wasn't full time, but the thing that made that different was it was every day, same time, Monday through Friday. Yeah. And so it was very helpful. And um, the schools I'd, I'd work at, I would every day, I'd wake up, I don't know, like eight, somewhere around nine to 10 or try to be earlier. I would go straight to a coffee shop. I would work on my stuff. And then by 1 p.m., I would go over to the school or one or two, go over to the school, do my thing, get out at six, maybe go to another coffee shop for a little time. And then I would do stand up. Mm-hmm. So it was like very, very structured, you know? Yeah. And um, my life's very structured now, even in the pandemic. But I had to figure out that structure for myself. But even now, I'm very much lacking structure because I don't have a job, which is something I'm going to I'm looking for right now. But um, and the reason why I got this free WeWork thing, because it's like, oh, it's an office, you know? Yeah. Um, And it makes things a lot simpler. But yeah, structure is like key. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So. So now that's pretty much your management now is just have structure, go to therapy and do your writing. And yeah. I mean, it, it's, the pandemic kind of threw a wrench in things and, and mm-hmm. a lot of things fell away. Like uh, my church community, like that was gone. And now, now I'm reestablishing that. Like I was at an mm-hmm. in-person outdoor Bible study yesterday and Sundays I'm volunteering and I might join the worship team. So like, that's helpful. Or like, but my mental health support group on Wednesdays, like that's on zoom and I don't really go very much. Cause like zoom is 
really hard to there's so many people on it it's so easy for me to just like tune out and just like play a game right. on my phone. it's really hard to feel like i'm there you know and there's a lot of people whereas like 20 people in a room it's great because we all get to talk and we feel there and like we can talk after but 20 people on zoom is really hard to like stay focused um if it was like a smaller group on zoom i think i would have a better chance of so it's been hard to go to that and then uh yeah and then just like certain communities that like performing communities that i became like another thing when i went back to stand up it's i the first thing i was like i'm only going to perform at my friends shows or shows that feel incredibly supportive you know because mm-hmm. i'm fragile and i'm also going to talk about suicide so let's not mm-hmm. go to like you know the comedy store or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh yeah so then like there's this one place al lack and it was like super awesome mixed mic i started going to the poetry lounge because uh i'd heard about it and i was like well i like poetry i started performing spoken word in the bay so i was like maybe i'll try it there and i would do stand up there it'd be amazing you know and i'd wait in line for three hours but i'd still meet people and then my friend christian uh was a poet he gave me all the poetry mics so i started performing stand-up at like music and poetry mics and there was no stand-ups there and i could talk about going to therapy and i could talk about this and like it would be awesome um so then you know and so eventually uh i was like "Hmm, this is like i don't think i like doing comedy in front of comedians (laughs) 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 i think this is like my people and then i started doing music and poetry so it's like occasionally i might not even do stand-up so it gave me that opportunity to be like do i feel like doing stand-up or do i feel like it's just like i do whatever i want at these places and also they would be packed you know like they weren't just comedians like there was a one once a month one and it's a coffee shop and it's like 80 to 100 people you know um or the poetry lounge is 300 200 to 300 people you know on a tuesday night and you get to do it's just three minutes but like Still, I'd rather I take that, you know, over over doing three five minute sets or six five minute sets in front of like four people. Um, And also (laughs) my mental health was so fragile that like I would step into these places that I used to be able to go and I would feel bad afterwards, but I just do it again. Mm -hmm. But like this time I go and it's like the next day I miss work. (laughs) So um, so I was like, nope, can't do this anymore. Um, So, yeah, that that it's like. And then this pandemic was the first time I was like, I don't think I'm going to do like just comedy anymore. <laughs> I did three shows. I did one in San Diego. It was fun. I did two shows. They're both fun. And I did one show that was like really bad. And the amount of t- just the fact that I spent that much time to do something that and, and the people, the people there were terrible. Like the comedians, I, some of the comedians I met, I was like, man, you guys are garbage people. <laughs> like you are not great people you know what i mean like yeah you're i do you know and that's just the fact of it so and there's bad people everywhere but at least if i go to a i don't know a poetry or music thing like i get to hear some cool yeah. stuff that i wouldn't normally hear or but but also just realizing okay i developed a one-man show i have like an hour of music too and an hour of spoken word like i'm like it's kind of arrogant or not. It's not arrogant. I kept thinking I was arrogant, but I was like, no, I'm a headliner now. Like mm-hmm. I, it doesn't mean that I sell tickets, but like I, sh- I, I just can't do seven minutes anymore. Like mm-hmm. I can get through two bits and then I have a bunch of music I don't get to do. And I have a bunch of, po- and I was like, I, I feel restricted. 
And I was like, you know what? It's fine. I'd rather do less sets, but get the ones I want, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that's been like a tough thing to kind of like accept. Cause it's like, I don't know the, the whole MO with stand up before was just like as much as possible all the time. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It's always, and for people who don't know, I mean, I've had a couple of comedians on, but we've talked about different aspects of comedy, but this is one that when you're doing comedy and I've only been doing it two years, so you've been doing it a lot longer, but I yeah. think it's the same, like you try to get as much stage time as possible. And that means you're not going to, you start to not value yourself because yeah. you're going to spend three hours somewhere to do a three minute set to a bunch of comics who not only won't laugh at you, they will actively not laugh at you. <laughs> Like they they try not to. You know, I used to be at Mike's like, uh, I used to be at Mike's and I'd laugh at a joke, like mm-hmm. actively laugh at it, and I'd get angry at the people who weren't laughing. Right. But I'd fucking call them out. <laughs> like I'd literally <laughs> be like, "What the fuck is your guys's problem? Like that's fucking funny. Like even if yeah. you didn't perform well, that's a good joke." And and I would I would just I don't know. It make me angry. Like I would be like stop this leave yeah. just walk outside like go talk to your friend on the phone do something else like why are you in the room if mm-hmm. you don't want to be here because in my thing i was like you know someone would be like oh i'm gonna why don't you go watch the comedians like go and i'm like no i'm not gonna watch because i don't want to and it's worse for me to be in there and not be supportive yeah. than me to be there and actually laugh you know mm-hmm. and um so i yeah i would never do that i was yeah. like if i'm in there i'm trying to laugh like i'm i'm gonna actually and if you, if I don't like you, then I'm just going to leave. Like, and people would be, and now these mics, like they make you stay, you know? And yeah. I don't like that because I'm like. The, <sighs> well, they make you stay, but then some people can leave. Cause there'll always be like the people who the host likes who goes, Oh uh, yeah, you can go. Oh yeah. You come in. Yeah. I'll put you up in 10 minutes and then you can leave. And it's then everyone else has been sitting there for three hours and you're just like, yeah, oh. there's this one mic that I refuse to go to. It's like, and everyone has to do it now. Fourth wall, like mm. it's like six, seven p. It's one one hour slots, and you sign up on t- beforehand, and you have to stay for the full hour, and you pay five dollars to go up. So you pay five dollars to go up. You yeah. have to stay for the whole hour. So I was like, what is the difference between this and a bringer show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, you're paying money to do it, and you have to stay. So it's like everyone there is like forced to be your audience. I'm like, that's literally what you do at a bringer show. You invite right. friends and they have to watch shitty comedy <laughs> and pay way overpriced for it. I'm like, dude, like I'd rather perform to, I've performed to, you know, I did my, my one man show in my living room to five of my friends. This is a hour I did to five people, but they were paying attention. I got way more out of that. I honestly learned more from that performance than doing it in front of 35 of my family and friends and doing really well Mm -hmm. because I saw my friends who like love me tune out. (laughs) I saw when they were disinterested I'm like, dang, I'm your friend. And like, you're not even paying attention. So that means that this is boring and I need to fix it. Whereas the other ones, like I could ride off of it, you know, like cause certain pockets of the crowd are still laughing. So I could just keep performing to them. But it's like if five people aren't all together watching you, then you better change something. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I'm I'm all for like performing in front of you know less people than I yeah I I told him I'd rather perform in front of two you know 
three two real people than 300 comedians <laughs> i you could name an ex, an infinite amount of number of comedians i i don't care i want you know two real people mm-hmm. that's maybe the comedians are real people like in terms of the way they act but yeah i'm not trying to do that <laughs> no it's really hard and it, it it is a hard thing so when you made this shift now i mean i and I think what's important is like you've found these different things. You really like spent time deciding what was satisfying to you because I mean, comedy there is an allure about it, right? I keep yeah. doing it, but yeah, with the whole thing of just like being a writer and writing and then having different aspects. Do you spend a certain amount of time on certain days working on like a certain style of writing, or is it just whatever happens? Yeah, I'm really, really, really just trying to figure that out. You know. Um, the one thing that has unified everything uh, was when Kobe died. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this kind of existential mortality conversation. And, you know, am I really turning over every stone? Am I really working as hard as I can? That song that got stuck in your head. I wrote that yes. because of that, you know, and I just thought, so something bad happened, which was I, I got banned from like one of my favorite venues um, in San Francisco because I, um, did a show there. I headlined with my friend and we were just like counting up ticket sales. And they said, Oh, you sold 22 tickets. And I was like, I counted 40 people in there. You know, I remember I took a photo mm-hmm. of the crowd. I was like 40 people. I saw I, cause I, I thought I, I was like, um, and I told I was going to tell a friend or something. Anyways, I don't know, for whatever reason, that's how many tickets they had. And, and I got mad. Cause I was like, you guys hounded me about promotion and we, you know, I was really stressed because I thought the show was going to get canceled, even though my friends were coming and then it ended up being a good show, you know, and we had a good time and, and now we're not getting our money's worth, you know, and on top of that. So anyways, and I said something kind of out of pocket, which was just like, if you didn't count the tickets, that's terrible business practice. And then the other person said, fuck you, you're terrible at promo. <laughs> shut, the, <laughs> shut the fuck up. You're terrible at promo. You know, we did you a favor you were on an off night. We usually reserve that for people that can pack the house and you can't pack the house. And yeah. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? You didn't do me a favor. Like I found another, I saw another venue that was $30 an hour and you guys did a 70, 70, 30 box office split or something. And also you said that the bar manager was, is the one who's stingy about ticket sales. And the bar manager was like, man, I wish they would tell me when these things happen. <laughs> He's like, huh. you guys should have cut a deal with me. So it was, I don't know what it was. It just felt shady, but misunderstanding. And I got banned from the venue for a year or something. But And then pandemic happened. It was like everybody got banned, my friends. said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I like how it's like banned for a year. I'm like, I'm never doing your venue. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. And then I banned him from Three Arts, uh, which reps Kevin Hart and all these other people. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I mean, he probably doesn't need it. He's doing well. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I was like, just so you know, you're blacklisted from this management company. That got me really angry. You know, and I was playing basketball and I was just like super frustrated. And one thing I learned in therapy is like anger is when an obstacle is in your way of a goal and you want to reach it. So I was like, okay, what am I angry about? And I was like, oh, I want to sell tickets. And I don't. <laughs> and this guy said, I'm terrible at promo. I'm so angry. 
And, uh, and then Edinburgh was happening and I had to find the venue and all this stuff. And I was like, you know what, put my money where my mouth is like, take this seriously. And when Kobe died, uh, I was like, you know what, uh, let me like figure out how to work as hard as Kobe did, like Mm -hmm. actually. And, uh, and I also like this guy, Nathaniel drew on YouTube and he was, uh, talking about Benjamin Franklin's schedule and he tried that. So like, I just like kind of fashioned this schedule based on, Kobe working, uh, he would do this famous on the off season. He would do two hours on two, three hours off or two hours on the rest, two hours on rest. He would do three workouts a day. And, mm. and it was like two hours of, uh, two hours of, uh, cardio then two hours of weightlifting and then two hours of basketball skills training. Okay. So that just became, I was like, okay, that's my thing. Six hours a day. I just got to do that six days a week uh, i mean uh, five or six whatever i can handle and so that that can, became like the unifying thing and so i started trying to like chop up the work blocks based on what i was doing so like when i was doing the ep it was like two hours in the morning to do some stuff and then you know four hours on the ep or mm-hmm. you know administrative or whatever it may be or or it's like then the ep was i'm not working on the pieces so it's two hours where i'm practicing music like i'm doing vocal lessons and piano stuff two hours where i'm doing one man show stuff and then two hours where i'm writing new music or you know like yeah and so now it's like i have that and i keep doing that and that's how i operate with the six hours but it's kind of just a smorgasbord of like whatever i need to accomplish and if i don't have any like projects that are impending then it kind of is whatever it is but like when the ep happened i realized like i need to devote four hours a day to this thing Mm -hmm. at least because like I had to constantly go back and forth with my uncle uh, who was the sound engineer and he had to send me a mix and I had to be like, change the reverb on this. And it was just like constant. And all night I had to be listening to it or this or this or this. And then I also wanted time to like, I can't function if I'm not creating new stuff. Like I just can't. Uh, Maybe that's the writer part in me, but like I literally, if I'm, if I am just working on something and polishing it and not simultaneously like working on the next thing, I go insane. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good quality, but also sometimes I'm like, why can't I just like get, just focus on this thing to make it like really <laughs> fucking good? But I think that's just how I am. Uh, and also like collaboration. I realize like I can't live without collaboration. Um, like I, I, I need to make room for it, even if it ruins my own career. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's like I don't have time to like help other people. I'm like, I just need this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'm I'm still figuring it out, you know, like I'm constantly figuring it out. And then trying to work out on top of that and lose weight and like yeah it's just such a i'm I'm always figuring it out but at least i know like the process i mean at least i know uh kobe says like the approach never changed but the process did so like at mm. least i know you know it, i'm not gonna be perfect but like as long as i just strive to to keep some sort of consistency mm-hmm. um but yeah that i've had so many systems you know, like work systems. This is the first one that like stuck because I saw Kobe and I was like, wait, he's been doing this since like high school. Like he was doing this workout since like high school all the way to when he retired, you know, or, or this way of being, you know? And then I thought of my mom who was, went to the same job nine to five Monday through Friday or not even nine to five, but sometimes more for 20 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was just like, wait, 
isn't my goal to like have some sort of longevity in this career. Whereas before my goal was like to get famous as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I didn't realize that was my goal, it was this obsession with like being a prodigy. And I'm like, let's shift the focus. What can I do that is sustainable? You know what I mean? Cause I've burned out. I constantly am burning out. Right. So I'm like, I don't want to burn out anymore. I just want to like keep going. Um, and so it's been working. Um, and it, and it, it, it gives me a lot of peace of mind knowing that it's like, this is my limit and I'm just going to my limit every day. And I know that if I go further, I usually burn out. If I go under, I feel dissatisfied. (laughs) So it's like, I just do it. And then I'm, I'm, that's it. Then I know I'm done for the day. (laughs) Yeah. So it feels more like clocking into a real job. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's just adding the structure too that, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah. So with the song, so, and yes, your song that's out on Spotify now did get stuck in my head. So can you talk a little bit about Don't Want to Die Young? Yeah, yeah. So like, I think I wrote that a week or, or a few days after Kobe died. And I've just been working on, like, I produced the whole EP, like, not on GarageBand. Like, the beats I made were all on GarageBand on my phone. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle has Pro Tools. So he was able to make it fancy. <laughs> um, <laughs> professional. But, um, so I was just, it was a loop that I found on GarageBand and uh, had been making a beat to it. Um, and I just like working on it. And then I guess I got home from something and then I just kind of broke down like about everything. And that's when I started singing, I guess. I don't know. Some melody, the the hook came to me and then, uh, I don't want to die young. And then I just put that beat on and, uh, started singing over it and then uh and then i wrote a verse and it happened very fast you know and um and i wrote the whole thing and then i kept working on the beat and then i made this like the beat switches that was influenced by drake which everyone hears that beat they're like oh it sounds like kanye well it does but the reason i put the beat switch is because drake has zero to 100 slash the ketchup and zero to 100's braggadocious you know, okay. I go to zero to hundred real quick. And then the catch up, which didn't make the radio cut it's on his album is him. It's very introspective and him doubting himself. Mm. So then I was like, the first part is me doubting myself. Let me flip it. You know, then the second part is braggadocious. <laughs> so yeah. then I write the little outro thing. And I also perceived it as like, this is going to end the whole EP. Um, and uh, yeah. And I wrote it and I was like, yeah, this is a good song. <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> catchy. Cause I could not stop singing it. And right. then uh, that night I went to an open mic and I performed it. Like, I was like, this is, I can't stop thinking about this song. Yeah. I mean, it is catchy. I won't sing it now because yeah. <laughs> I have, I have to sing it here. Nice. So, so <laughs> it doesn't sound as good as you. When you went to make the EP, did you take any of your poetry and turn it into songs or is that, are those two separate things for yeah, you? Yeah. Like- so you'll, you'll hear it when it fully comes out. I have two poems, um, both of them spoken word poems. Uh, one of them is uh, the fir- one of the first poems I ever performed at a spoken word mic, and um, it's about suicide. It's it's, about, it's called love. Uh, what I've got to love myself, um, and it's just like kind of dialogue between me and kind of God, or or you know, yeah, me, God, and myself. Because it's like I was just thinking about this idea is like me loving myself is like why am I two different people? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What self am I loving? You know? Yeah. Uh, is it the past me? Is it the present me? Is it the future me? Who am I honoring? And um, and so it's that question of like, and it's this dialogue of of like, why do I got to love myself? You know, when it's so much easier to love somebody else. They say it's for your yeah. health. You know, you can't. It, it all rhymes too. 
but I take that and I put it over the loop of, of, I don't want to die young. So on the album, it, it's almost like the, these three tracks uh, are one track. So mm-hmm. it's uh, the poem over the loop. And then it goes into, I don't want to die young and the loop is a full beat. And then it, the beat switches to the deer, um, to the beat of the outro. And then the, the beat of the outro re comes back and it's a poem called dear notebook. And I wanted to do something about Kobe. Um, and he has a poem called dear basketball. So mine is dear notebook. And it's like me saying goodbye to my notebook as if I'm saying, I'm finally like releasing my poetry to the world Mm. that I've been hiding. And his is dear basketball. Like I'm leaving basketball. So, uh, and that's set over the same beat. So you have two beats that flow into each other and then two poems that bridge the two. Um, so yeah, cause the whole EP is meant to be a narrative piece. Like, cause all the songs were songs that were supposed to be kind of like related to the one man show thematically. Mm-hmm. So it's meant to tell a, a story the same way the one man show does. Like it's, it's almost like yeah. the soundtrack to the one man show. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And then you also were very generous in your donating proceeds from don't want to die young, right. To the yeah. foundation. I'm trying so, to figure out how to like, actually make proceeds happen though <laughs> yeah yeah well it's very generous so far but no <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. It, will, yeah it will it will pan out i think because yeah this, you know i tried to do this camp this tiktok thing and it didn't go well and then i was like i think i gotta leave social media for mental health and then uh, it's just like and then family stuff happened and i got bogged down so it's like i'm still trying mm-hmm. to figure out because my, my my goal is to like have each song be associated with a charity you know oh that's great like, yeah the health NAMI and, and Mental Health LA and Suicide Prevention is like one charity. Uh, the other is education. Ellie's mm-hmm. best uh, education. We find a way to give back to like LUSD or whatever. Uh, and then and then you have Mamba Foundation. And then um, mm-hmm. those are the three kind of, and then I'll probably figure out another foundation. But I want like each song to be associated with a cause and the whole album as a whole to be associated with mental health. Yeah. Which is like more of a career goal I have because I, I that's like my end goal is to have enough money to like, I mean, I guess you don't need a lot of money to start a nonprofit, but I want to flip everything I do into nonprofit development later. Mm-hmm. Like everything I do, I want to flip towards the causes I believe in later on, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. And I think being service minded and helping others is important and yeah. I mean, even you're generous with sharing about your mental health, but I think that's very important. I don't think that people being silent about it helps anyone else because it just lends to the stigma of yeah. all of it, right? I don't know if I – maybe my lack of boundaries <laughs> has become useful uh, in that way, which is just like I've told these stories to – like my own stories to um, – friends for like i have a friend who's a amazing photographer she takes my headshot she films videos for me and she was going to pre-med and like told her the story of how i got inspired to do stand-up and like how i left pre-med and stuff and she came back from school one time she was like uh yeah i'm a film major now and she was like you actually were the first person to implant that idea in my head and I, i was like wow that's powerful you know um and uh, so I wrote a super long five-year reflection about being in stand-up. And it was this, you know, super long memoir style. It was like a 10-page Google Docs. I wrote at 1 a.m. in the morning and I just posted mm-hmm. on Facebook. And people actually read it. And one of those people 
was the girl I ended up dating in San Francisco. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit, this is like everything I've been feeling, everything I'm resonating with. You're answering all my questions, all my doubts, like you're encouraging me. And you know, someone was like, you should start a blog. And so I kind of just kept doing that on Facebook and um and on stage and all these things. And like the responses I would get were just like, hey, thank you for doing that. And and to see like how much it impacted people in ways I didn't know how I started to every time I wanted to, every time I was hesitant to share, I thought, Hey, but like someone might need this. Mm -hmm. Even if it's just like one person, you have to do it. Um, you know, so that's kind of like what motivated it. Um, I have a very strange relationship with social media, however, though, (laughs) because it's like, you know, it, 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 um, gets tough on me to like, it warps my view of like how many people care or who cares or, you know, it's like, I yeah. think about it, it's like if 80, I, I read something around like Instagram, it shows it to 10% of your audience. And then if it organically, like they engage with a lot of show to more. Right. So if mm-hmm. I have 800 followers, it's going to show it to 80 people. And then it, say 34 people like it. I thought about that in terms of live performance. If I performed in a room of 80 people yeah. and, 30 people came up to me afterwards and told me good job. And then five people commented, which is like five people actually had a conversation with me afterwards. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, that's an amazing show. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I'm on Instagram and I get 34 likes, I'm like, I'm dog shit because I'm seeing uh, someone else get 200,000, you know? Yeah. So, and I realized that that's, that's not what I want anymore. Like, so I was like, I gotta, yeah. So I gotta leave this for now. Or, I mean, I say for now, but, I don't know if I'll ever go back, but um, I was just like, I, I don't like this relationship. Well, it's hard with the social media because you, it's like we need it for certain things because yeah. to promote ourselves or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I totally understand. Cause even like I'll post something that I think is cool and yeah. no one will react. And then I post some like shitty post. That's me being not the best person sometimes. And then I'll get so many reactions and I'm yeah. like, Okay, I don't want that to be me though. I'd rather you guys like this cool other thing. Yeah. That, but you can't control that. And then I, I didn't know that about the ten percent of your audience because I mean, to me, it's like I I follow my friends because I want to see what's up. And so sometimes I won't see someone forever, and I'll look, and then they've posted like three things, and I'm like, I didn't like any of them because I didn't know they posted them. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you it's know, like, it's confusing, and so and then you have to like. So then you just got to post consistently to manipulate the algorithm, all these things. And what I realized was like, oh, it's like anything else. If I want to like get good at this thing, I got to do it consistently and I got to put work into it. But not only that, I thought it's just like, oh, put work into it. But it's like, you actually have to learn the format. Mm -hmm. Like you have to learn what works for that specific format the same way you have to learn uh, how to, you can't just say anything on a comedy stage. It has to be funny. You know what I'm saying? But there's a specific genre to social media content which is what my friend kind of, he was like, you got to like, and I was like, this is not a genre I want to learn because I'm also trying to learn jazz. I'm also trying to learn guitar. I'm also trying to get better at music. I'm also trying to learn mixing, mastering, getting better at basketball. None of these things will help me with social media. No. Uh, and, <laughs> and, I, and I just do not have the time. And it's like, it seems easy. It's like, oh, caption the video it takes 30 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, 30 minutes to an hour is a long time for me because yeah. I also had to do an hour of vocal lessons every day to get a good voice. Mm-hmm. Where am I going to fit in that hour elsewhere? And so that's kind of, was just like, I just, and, and it was hard. It was really hard. To, this is just very recently, but I'm like, man, 
So I'm, I'm scared. I'm like, damn, I don't know how to do it. Like, but I mean, people do it. I mean, I saw Daniel Kitson in London sell 2,100 tickets for 21 days straight with no social media and just a mailing. Amazing. List. I'm like, people do it. You know, it works. Like he did live performance and he built it up over years. It's just like, it's just a different process mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it'll work. Also, I realized my only metric for success was how many followers people had. So I'd be like, Oh, they're, they're successful because they have followers. And it's like, I don't know how much money they're making. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was this whole, there's a lot of groups on Facebook now and everyone goes, Oh, let's list all our social media and everyone can follow each other. Yeah. Quite honestly, I don't want to follow everybody. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't matter to me necessarily like that. I have the most, but I know, but th- that is a metric we're all trying to aim for. Or like YouTube, you have to get a hundred subscribers in order to make a custom link. Otherwise you have this stupid, like bunch yeah, yeah, of numbers. Yeah. So now it's like everybody's trying to get followers, but there's an algorithm that detects if you follow for follow. So you have to watch their video. Yeah, there is. So, and this is a hot tip for everyone. If you want someone to follow you and you're going to follow them in exchange, you better watch five minutes of their video or so, so that it looks like you're engaged with their content when you follow them. Otherwise, if they follow you the same day or whatever, Facebook or yeah. YouTube will pick that up and you will lose followers. So people would get like 50 followers and then be down to 20 again. And Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, just a like, game. Uh, you know, like um, I'm, a, I'm a codependent person. So relationships are, uh, I can't handle too many. <laughs> and <laughs> social media is, there's like your, my friends is like, you have 200,000 people in your pocket, you know? I can't handle that. It's like, I need to just be with one person, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like, it's just, it makes less thoughts go. My, I have too many thoughts. I can't hear other people's thoughts. Then I'm fucking going crazy, you know? Yeah. Cause like, I already don't like my own a lot of the time. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I hear what you're saying too. And then I'm like, ah, oh, it's chaos, you know? So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to make, like there's a 12 step saying like you, your world has to become smaller before it becomes big again. Mm. And um, like one thing about going to de- through depression is um, like y- you cut out so many people in your life. Cause like the people that don't try to reach out to you, then they're just gone. And, um, and you think that you'll miss those people and then you're like, no, nah, I don't miss them at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so, um, yeah, just like keeping a, a tight, you know, the tight circle and, and figuring that out. And, really like making sure that uh, I'm very deliberate about who I keep in my life um, is a new thing that I'm trying to figure out, you know, but I'm only 25. So like, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. It does. Uh, I mean, there's a big, yeah, there's a lot of change to come for sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I don't, I'm still figuring it out, you know, it's always changing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but it's good that you've kind of at least honed in on what you want to do more and, and sorted that out. Um, yeah. So as far as your one man show, can you just talk a little bit about what it's about? Yeah. So uh, I describe it as a compilation of jokes, songs, stories, and poems about a breakup, a breakdown, a breakthrough and everything in between. I might change that tagline. Cause I think the breakup, breakdown, breakthrough, I thought of it and I was like, that sounds cool. And then I was like, I think mm-hmm. it's been done. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it, it describes the story of me 
um, uh, it starts with me, uh, you know, explaining what happened, um, and what I had to go through. And then, um, it describes a story of me falling in love and going to San Francisco and, um, the turmoil that happened, uh, preceding the breakup, um, and how, what was unique about this breakup was it was, it was called a break, you know, let's take a six month break. Mm -hmm. And, but that, that added to my obsessiveness because I was counting down the days that we would see again, no contact. Um, yep. And then it talks about my, uh, what happened. Uh, and, and I descend into depression and, um, it culminates in the story of me going to my third and final psych ward visit and performing stand-up in front of psych ward patients, <laughs> which did happen twice. Um, the first night I did seven minutes and the next night I did 20 minutes. And, nice. You know, the joke is like I headlined a psych ward. Uh, <laughs> I killed. That's insensitive. But I suicided. No, that's, oh, that's worse. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but it was a, it was a, a beautiful moment because I had not written jokes. I had not done stand-up. I, this, the depression started about the relationship and it became about so much more, you know, mm -hmm. it became about everything, which depression often does. Cause it's like, you think it's about one thing and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And you're like, there's so much deeper stuff. Um, it goes through me getting bullied in high school and this experience I had on kill Tony where mm. uh, I was roasted, but then the next day had basically had a flashback <laughs> of, of a thing that happened to me in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways, it goes all through that and it culminates with the psychoid experience and, uh, and, uh, ends with me, uh, working with kids and working my way out of the depression and all the lessons I've learned. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's still a work in progress. You know, I'm going to, the, I mean, the plan was to get at least 60 reps in yeah. by the end of Edinburgh and then keep touring it and figure out a way to like record this thing you know, as an album or something. Um, but we'll see. But yeah, I'm going to take it to Orlando, do seven shows. I, I'm looking into trying workshopping it again through like Airbnb experiences or something. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've done it like 10 times, 10 or 11 times. So uh, that's yeah. many drafts I have of it. But yeah, I got it down to 55 minutes by Orlando. Cool. So that was cool. So it is like one hour chunk, um, but it's going to change so much because there's more music. I'm writing poetry, yeah. et cetera. But um, yeah, that's the story. And, and, um, and it's not the first of its kind, but I mean, people have done, you know, like there's a special on Amazon prime now that's like jokes, stand up and poetry, or, or you got Neil Brennan who does, uh, um, his thing. But I mean, one thing I will say is like it, they all like feed into each other, you know, like, yeah. and I, and I, it's a three act structure, you know, like I, I looked at movie form, like it, it builds up and climaxes and dies. And, you know, I really tried to like, make sure it felt like one fluid story. Mm -hmm. It was. Um, yeah. And so it's something I'm still learning, but so I'm really, really proud of it. And I've wanted to write a one man show ever since I watched if I by Dimitri Martin, which won the oh. Perrier award. And I wanted to go to Edinburgh cause he went there. So like, this has been a, a dream in the making for years. Um, yeah. and everything I did in terms of like milestones with stand up was all in the process of me going to Edinburgh. Like, uh, I did my first 30 minute set, like junior year of college and I did an hour, uh, senior year of college 
in front of friends. Like, it, I, you know, so everything was kind of like in service of that and, and me trying to like hack away at certain topics. I had this one man show idea back when I was 19. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and it just the title and the conception of it and the story. I didn't even have a story. It was just this idea of like, I want to trace. Uh, I watched this band called Us the Duo with my sister. And they told the story of how they met through their songs. Mm. And I was like, I want to tell the story of why I'm a comedian through my jokes. Right. And, and that was the idea I had. And, um, and that was always the idea I had. And, and I just, it never like panned out. And then I, all of a sudden, uh, this thing happens to me and I get out of it. I'm like, Oh my God, I got a show. <laughs> I was like, it's the worst way to get the show, but yeah, <laughs> so you have a whole story now. Right? I have a story. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know? Yeah. Well, in the Edinburgh thing, I mean, man, that, so being over here in England, I mean, when I moved here last January, that's all everyone was talking about. Everyone was starting to preview. Everyone was starting to do whatever. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And it just shut everything down. And I I don't know if they're going forward this year too. I know already a bunch of stuff got canceled, Glastonbury and stuff like that. So I don't really know if they're doing Edinburgh, but like, I mean, at this point I could go to Edinburgh and do two shows, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Um, do my one man show and do a full hour of just stand up poetry and music of all new stuff. And so, I mean, it, it is like the longer I wait to put stuff into the world, the more stuff I have, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just so much more ready for when I do pop, you know, or when the right opportunity does come. But obviously I'm so freaking impatient. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I know. Well, it's been hard. So, um, yeah, there's this Bible verse or not Bible verse, like our pastor, he's talking about like how the early church there's there's like rich people in the church and then there's like the slaves the mm-hmm. servants and they'd come later and so that they would have communion and they would just feast on all this amazing food and then they'd give the leftovers to the servants who came later even though they're all part of the same church and he's like wait for your gifts to be experienced until those you know those people without can like stop don't eat until everyone's here you know mm-hmm. and i just think about that i'm like i have a lot of things i want to share but it's like until i can share it with the people that need it it's like i got to wait you know, yeah. It's just like if I don't have the resources to like use this to help people, because that's what this stuff is meant for—mental mm-hmm. health, etc. It's like then it doesn't need to be out there because it's just gonna like be make me more glorified, but like it's not gonna help anyone. Yeah. So the pandemic is like what you know people people have bigger things to worry about right now. <laughs> <laughs> and this podcast, like this podcast, it helps people. You know what I mean? Hope and, so. Yeah. Oh yeah, I listened, you know, and I was like, well, this is awesome. You know, it's a it's a concept that, you know, I didn't know about yeah. you, certain things about you. And I'm like, well, cool. yeah. You know, so that's the purpose. It's really important, like stuff like this. And so it's like, you know, whatever way that just the best way to be of service. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So is there any like um advice or mantra that you like to share with people? I mean, you just talked about what you follow right now as far as just kind of waiting your turn in a way, but is there any kind of advice or mantra you like to just share with people about specifically like more than anything or yeah, or whatever. I mean, whatever just has kind of touched you as like something that there's so many things um, that have touched me, but I guess if we're specifically talking about this idea that, uh, or this podcast or this podcast represents um, for me personally, I mean, uh, you know, they say like, there's this quote by Stephen King, art should serve life, not the other way around. And, um, and, and other people have said, you know, build your, build your career around your life. Not, you know, Mm -hmm. but 
that's what I'm really just trying to figure out. I was like, what is the bare essentials of what I need to be happy in a human being? And mm -hmm. if the career fits into that and there's money to be involved, it's fine. But like, I'm actually coming to it. And I, I mean, I made it an early time. I'm only 25, but I, I'm trying to get to a point where it's like, I don't even care about uh, this ever making money. <laughs> like, right. and I, there was a moment when I was working with the kids and I went home and I was like, man, if this is all there is, like, I'm good. Like, mm -hmm. I just worked with kids. I played sport. Like, if I just get to do this on the – like, I, I honestly want to just be able to be comfortable just doing this on the side. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's, like, a weird thing to think because I've been achievement-oriented my whole life, you know? Like, but this – the one of the core beliefs that I had to work through in therapy is, like, I can't do something unless I'm the best at it. So mm -hmm. it's, like, I restricted myself from doing – uh, music or or poetry or this because it's like stand-up is the thing I'm meant to be the best at stand-up is the one thing I can get to Chappelle level at or something which is probably not even true but this idea that's like oh maybe I have a chance to be the next uh, big thing right mm -hmm. rather than being like I don't care like I like doing stand-up sometimes and I like doing music and this and it's like now I'm at a place where it's like no one can do whatever, whatever I do because like just no one does it <laughs> like no like no one has ever done what i'm doing and so now i'm in a league of my own you mm -hmm. know so i don't have to compare myself to anyone else like uh it's just like i, I sometimes i see stand-ups like get successful in that same mindset it's like oh they're young and i'm like what am i even thinking like mm -hmm. i'm doing music too or then i look at compare myself to musicians i'm like but you also do stand like there is nothing like there is no way that you yeah. can ever be in their league so um, and that, that being said, like, um, yeah, I just like, I want to get, what do I need to be like, what, what does my day consist of that makes me happy? And I realized like my friend jokes about, I was like, this unemployment money. He's like, how bad is my life that this is the most money I've ever had? <laughs> my friend, <laughs> but like, um, after when I would talk to him, I would be like, how are you? And he's like, you know what? I want to make movies and do stand up, and I'm doing, I'm making movies and I'm doing stand up, Like. He's doing mm -hmm. stand-up and he was making a um, – he makes a web series. That's amazing. He didn't say, like, I'm not making a major blockbuster movie, right. so I'm not happy. I'm not getting paid to do stand-up. So he's like, I'm doing the things. So yeah. I realized during this pandemic, like, what do I need? I was like, I just need six hours a day to do creative stuff that I like. I need to play basketball. Uh, I need to read books. I love reading. Um, I need to, uh, have enough money to do those things and live off of it. Um, I need church community. I need mental, like, what are the bare essentials of my life? And I realized like none of those things actually involve making a lot of money in my career. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah. I was like, I thought to do these things, like I have to make money, but that was just a lie that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could be really poor and do these things. Like you could be really poor and still like work six hours a day on your craft. Yeah, that's true. And I think that's probably didn't realize that, you know, I didn't know that that was a fact. It, it does cost money to do big things, though, like mm -hmm. to organize Edinburgh. It costs money. It, if you want to make a, a big motion picture, it costs money, you know, mm -hmm. but like people will give you the money if you just ask, <laughs> you know, like yeah. if, if, if you really are like if you ask enough people, someone's going to give it to you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I read that book, The Art of Asking also. Hmm. And um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm just like, okay, what do I need? Like, what's the bare minimum? 
that I can, and I, w- I just want that. <laughs> if I get that first, then I, yeah, but I don't even have that right now. <laughs> you know, so I'm like, oh, how can I even worry about this other stuff? You know, yeah, I don't have it. Like, and uh, it's not that I can't get it. It's just like I don't have it. You know, I have six mm-hmm. hours a day, but like, I have my own place. I don't. I can't travel. I can't. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't have all the music equipment I want. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like access yeah. and stuff. But I think, yeah, yeah. So that that's like what I would say is that like. Uh, life is is not short (laughs) (laughs) you think it's short and then you're like what this keeps going yeah (laughs) so yeah it's like um, different at different times it feels shorter than others but it's just like you can do the things and you can even if you're 50 and you want to do and i i even shouldn't say 50 with that tone because i'm like 10 years nine years from that but it's like If you're 70 and you want to, it doesn't matter. Like you still can. That's what, once I got rid of this idea of like, I have to be good at something to do it. I'm like, I could just start playing the clarinet when I'm 75, you know? Yeah. I'm like, this is now I'm down to do this. Like, and when it opened up my life, cause I'm like, I'm 25. Think of how many things, like I'm really good at tech decking, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. doing tricks with a finger skateboard. And that started because my dad confiscated one from a student when he was a teacher <laughs> winter break or school ended. So he just cleaned out his desk. He forgot to give it back to the guy. He gave it to me and it just started as a nervous thing to do uh, yeah. while I was on the computer. And I didn't devote more than th- 15, 30 minutes a day for 10 years. All of a sudden I'm watching on like YouTube and I'm like, wait, I'm as good as people that are sponsored. Like, wow. and I did not devote any conscious effort to like become good. At- if I want to be the best, then I would have to devote way more time. Right. But just to be like slightly good at something enough to like do a trick and people are like, Whoa, that's cool. How'd you do that? (laughs) (laughs) So you can be like super like proficient at a lot of things, just super. Okay. And I think when you're obsessed with being the best, yeah, yeah, you can be the best at like one thing, but like, Mm -hmm. honestly, it's like so much more fun to be like mediocre at a lot of things. I mean, right. I, maybe, that's, maybe that's just me. But like, if you get rid of the idea, it's like, why do you have to be like amazing at it? You know, for who? Well, you stop and you stop enjoying it. That's the problem. Yeah, too. as long as it's fun. And I asked, I stopped asking people like, what What do I need to do to make it? I asked all my um, uh, like more successful friends or people that I knew in any position. I was just like, what do I need to do to not quit? <laughs> and um, and I asked this one guy like, what do I need to do? Oh, there, there it is. There's my long-winded way to get to the one word of advice. This there guy, he was an art teacher at the after-school program, just started. He was a touring musician with uh, his brother, who was Prodigy, the rapper who died, and, mm. uh, and Mob Deep. And he still, what I loved about it was he's older, but I asked him about music. And he was so excited to show me his guitars and his studios. And I was like, this guy's still like in love with this thing mm-hmm. and here i am like not sure if i want to do stand up anymore and i just was like how do you stay in love with the thing you know this long and he said surround yourself with people that you love that love you and that love what you do and mm-hmm. that to me that last part is the one that i was missing in like because i i have people that love me i love them 
but if they don't love what you do, you know, like Mm -hmm. they might love you, but they love different things. They want you to do different things. Then they're going to tell you to do different things, or they're going to tell you, this is what works for me. It's like, they got to love, you know, everything about, about what you're doing and you got to love it back too. And so, uh, that was really important to me. So the spaces I entered were purely based on the, that, those words. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to go to places that don't encourage what I, what I see. And I used to think as a standup, you got to go to places that are going to kick the shit out of you because it makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did all those places and I learned the only way to like not get the shit kicked out of you is to kick the shit back out of the audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's just a fight. That's not like, that's not what yeah. I'm out here to do. I'm not out here to fight. Like I did a show in Bakersfield where they heckled me. It's like, I got called faggot. Like <laughs> what? And and I like just roasted them back. And it was like, sure. I did better than everybody else, but it was an awful time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm like, that's not for me. Well, yeah. And just hearing like homophobic slurs or racial slurs or whatever people say. I mean, it's like, yeah, I know you're at a comedy club, but this is not how, we're talking to each other. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Some comedians like want to be dog like dog fighters or something. I'm like, yeah, or 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 like. So I I don't know what the like mo for some comedians are, but like, yeah, if we're just talking about like doing this for fun, like fuck yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not fun. Yeah. All right, so I do a set of questions in every interview called the cool. Fun Five. Yeah where I'm just going to ask you some things that are kind of fun. I think, I think they're fun. That's why I'm asking them. Cool. Um, so what's the oldest t-shirt you have that you still wear? And you might, you're pretty young, so it could be like not that old, but <laughs> yeah. Dang. I was probably just like a Hanes Costco shirt, <laughs> <laughs> like a six pack white t-shirts from Costco Hanes. <laughs> okay. Like seven years old or six years old. <laughs> But yeah, you wear them like it now cost a penny each time you wear it. Basically, you wore it so much. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, so one thing is a lot of people have been saying throughout the pandemic, especially that every day is like Groundhog's Day. And yours is kind of in a way because you do you have a routine, but um, and, you know, just repetitive. And so what song would you have on your alarm clock if it really was Groundhog's Day? And this was the song you hear every single morning. Is it messed up to say it's one of my own songs? It's like a beat. No. I made. Okay, it's this beat I made called. Uh, well, it's I, it's not a song that exists yet. Um, but uh, oh wait, not home. But yeah, anyways, it, it's not out yet. But I made a beat for this song called Dusty Piano, and um, it was a song about. I don't know. I just liked. I like the beat. I made it sound like Bob O'Reilly, kind of. Yeah. And, and uh it's just like i'm happy like it makes me feel good nice yeah cool all right and yeah and i have a playlist on spotify so once it's out i'll stick it on the playlist too yeah that was when it'll be out (laughs) well eventually i'll i'll wait um okay so coffee or tea or neither coffee yeah how any specific coffee like um non-specific coffee uh, my favorite coffee shop is the coffee connection okay on cool. where's that all right it's attached to a church it's got three pad it's got an outdoor patio an indoor place and a like hybrid in a way because it's like open mm-hmm. but there's couches and desks and like so it's got three environments to work in 
and nice. they have really good coffee uh, creations. Like they'll have different coffees, uh, combination stuff, like every different month or season. Cool. Yeah. Nice. All right. Can you think of a time like either the last time or any time that you laughed so hard, you cried or just couldn't stop or something that makes you yeah. just lose it? I mean, the hardest I've ever laughed, I know that, which yeah. is like my friend Austin improvised an entire Disney Channel uh, movie for like an hour, <laughs> it, it, like with the commercials, just in front of a, not even at a show, just like we were at a dining hall at UCLA and it was after a stand up show. And he just, we just made him keep going. <laughs> he was like, you guys want to do an improv game? And then it just, he did all of it. <laughs> an entire, and it was so vivid. I know like the whole plot and everything. It, it was ridiculous. That's awesome though. Yeah. And it's a good memory. You guys can just go back and the to commercials. He did the commercials too. Like it was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. All right. And then um, who inspires you right now? Uh, Leonard Cohen. Yeah. And James Baldwin. Uh, cool. Pat Riley. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Those are the books. I mean, those are also like books I'm reading, but Leonard, I'd say Leonard Cohen above all, because like his philosophies on everything are, are exactly what I'm aspiring. It, it just makes it's like, oh, yeah, this guy was not a terrible dad and didn't hate himself all the time. And he <laughs> was an entertainer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah, I heard some stuff about him on different podcasts and it sounded pretty cool. Like just it's always like those people that you appreciate more once they're gone cuz you then that's when you're learning about them, right? Oh man, his these interview this interview books like everything's cold. Huh. That's awesome. All right, and so um I know you talked about leaving social media. Is there anything you want people to look up when if they want to know more about you? Yeah, just like let's go on my Spotify and then go on my website. Um, my website and my Spotify and like, I'm going to be developing a Patreon and like, so I'm, I'm going to be just like, I'm in the process of migrating everything. Like I'm archiving everything I've ever done and moving it. Um, yeah. Cool. My website is Nathan Mosier is good enough.com. And, uh, yeah, so that's going to be over time, have more and more stuff on it. Awesome. Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Meckie is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at RabiaSaid.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, while being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.